Today we close out our series on Pee Wee Gaskins. We'll get into his account of the coastal killings and then into what he calls his serious murders, which also include torture and rape. We'll also discuss Pee Wee's associates and his carefree attitude towards his crimes, both of which would lead to his eventual arrest and death. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you thought Power Man Pee Wee from Part 1 was disturbing, stick around. Tonight's show may feature the most disturbing murder in this show's history. <laughs> this is Necronomapod. Was this guy 5'4", 120 pounds maybe, soaking wet? It's hard to believe he killed all these people. Like, I feel if he was moving on me, I'd just bitch slap him and knock him across the room, right? <laughs> Break his face in half. Yeah. yeah. We're going to see in this episode, he does a lot of his killing when people aren't expecting it. And he's going to brag a lot. I mean, there's a lot of women. A few guys we'll get to, but it's like a kind of like a, you know, a, a you know sneak attack. When we get into like the uh, his his coastal killings, which you know may or may not even be true, does he ever did he ever get into like whether they were male or female or was it always female? Always female. See, so he didn't actually go after many men then. He's, that's smart. The only because, men he really no. got were men that he either knew or you know we'll get into like maybe was asked to go get. Yeah. And some of these guys where you just said that they weren't expecting it, I would say they should have been. Yes, they should. This guy's been. a known commodity and. <laughs> I don't think you should turn your back on people like that. So, yes, it's just it. I was thinking about that this week, like just a tiny little man capable of all that nope. carnage. Just please save your questions until I'm through. <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up. What was the big dude's name? Oh, uh, Hazel, Hazel Brazel, I believe we were corrected. Well, Hazel Brazel's not funny. Yeah. Hazel Brazel's funny, yeah, so I don't care Brazel. how he pronounced it. <laughs> Got knifed while taking a, a poop. Yeah. Couldn't even defend himself then. Even though sitting down on the toilet, he's probably still just as tall as uh, Gaskins. So I don't know. Those are just things I was thinking about this week. I don't know what you guys had going on. but Deep thoughts. About it for me. He also had Boss Paws. Boss Paws. <laughs> so many fun names in this one. Mm. I wouldn't love getting your throat slit while you're taking a shit. No. It's a bad way to go out. It's very undignified. I agree. In my opinion. What's the dignified way to get murdered? Um, like being disemboweled on a table while yelling freedom. Oh, like Braveheart. Yeah. <laughs> William Wallace had it right, man. <laughs> it's crazy when you read about like all the stuff they actually did to him as opposed to like the way the movie portrays it. Like it was way worse what they actually did to him. Like, it was just, like, torture after torture after torture oh, after yeah. torture after torture. It was wild. And he ended up getting, like, quartered and all of that, right? And I believe so. Quarters yeah. got burned and whatever else. Yeah, like, it was 
Not a great time to be alive back in those days. Like what time period is that? Oh boy, I don't even know. Eight hundreds maybe, and I'm I'm really guessing here because I don't remember. Seven, eight, nine hundreds, maybe later than that. Twelve hundreds. I'm gonna say between seven fifty and twelve fifty. William Wallace passed away. He was he born twelve seventy, died thirteen oh five. Yeah, it's a little bit later. Like just the ways they invented to torture and kill people back then are just beyond the pale. It's they're crazy. We talked about it in that torture episode, but like just the way to inflict the most cruel form of torture and to prolong death as long as possible. What was the you one? Mean, it was uh, taking pieces of glass and putting them under the people's fingernails oh, with bull piss on them oh, oh, so they'd get infected. I don't recall that one specifically, but that does not sound great. <laughs> that, that one sticks in my mind for some reason. Oh, that would be awful. Like just putting a rat under a cup on someone's stomach. So it like we discussed just that. bored a hole through them. And I think we recently discussed that. That one. Roman woman, they put you on a boat like out under the sun and just put honey and stuff on that you. That so one's you super fucked up. Eaten by, I mean, just the most awful things. You want to know what else is torture? Making a man climb up into the electric chair. <laughs> like, how about you just belittle him some more before you kill him? Can I get a step stool? <laughs> they have like one of those kids like booster seats that you get like at like Applebee's or something. They have it in there for them just to make sure they can strap everything to them. I think we're going to get into that here in, a, in about an hour or so, right? Are you kidding? <laughs> All right. Anyways, let's wrap this bitch up. So where we left off on part one, Pee Wee Gaskins was paroled in November of 1968 on the condition that he was to stay out of Florence County for two years. Uh, If we remember, the judge told him, we're sick of hearing your name around this county. If you step foot back here, you're done. Pee Wee decided that he was never going back to jail, but he wasn't going to stop doing illegal stuff either. So basically, he was just saying he wasn't going to leave any witnesses behind. Also back in part one, we talked about when Pee Wee said bothersomeness for the first time in his book. And that bothersomeness was what he called the urge to kill. When he got these feelings, he took off and drove up and down the coast of South Carolina and started picking up hitchhikers. This is going to get us to what Pee Wee called his coastal kills, which need to be taken with a grain of salt. There are no corroborating facts to back up anything of what he said about these murders even though Pee Wee's book is titled Final Truth and he says Final Truth before every murder he talks about, <laughs> there's no evidence that the coastal kills are real. Mm. I think- start making that a thing on the show. Like before every episode, Ian has to be like before, you know, he starts like his, his notes goes, okay, Final Truth. Final Truth. Pee Wee Gaskins was born on March 2nd. <laughs> That's what the book's like. He'll, he'll, it'll name the victims and then give their age, but like right before it, it says Final Truth. It's like final truth. Someone's name, someone's name, their age. Oh boy. You know you're lying when you have to remind people you're telling the truth. Right. Over and over yeah. again. Dave, I cut you off before we No, started. I would say I feel like this guy just got to prison and started believing his own hype and had all this time to come up with this nonsense. Well, How- he was nicknamed the meanest man in America, so <laughs> shortest man in America. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of small man syndrome going on here. Really oh, is. for sure. Why don't you just get a big truck with uh, big tires like all the other <laughs> short men? <laughs> Lift it, check that bitch up. You need like a ladder to get into it. <laughs> I feel like he's, you know, starts thinking about the 
I don't know, the Hall of Fame of serial killers. He's like, I want to be in there. So I got to up my count, start coming up with these stories. I'm going to take a little Ed Kemper. I'm going to take yeah. a little of this guy, right. a little of that guy. But look, I still... Am that's I, how I said Ed Kemper. It said nobody else because I fucking don't know who else I was going to say. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck. Well, mentioning Ed Kemper, I was going to say, in my opinion, if you want to be the goat, you got to skull fuck your mom's... You gotta skull fuck your mom's yeah. dead body. Her right? rotting, her rotting yeah. head. So, so you said Ed you Kemper was the goat. Ed Kemper would be the goat. Uh, <laughs> I think he's one of a few goats. He's sure. the Mount Rushmore of. <laughs> he's on Mount Rushmore sure. of being ridiculous. Okay. Well, this guy sure writes a story for himself that would put him on the Mount Rushmore if it were true. That's the point, I think. Yeah. yeah right. If we take Pee Wee's word for it, he started out a lot like Ed Kemper. Pee Wee started picking up hitchhikers and gradually started pushing boundaries to see how far he could get. He would try to have sex with these young women, and when they said no, Pee-wee got angry and told them to get out of his car. Pee-wee said, quote, It was like I was looking for something special on them coastal highways, only I didn't know what. And as he continued to get rejected, Pee-wee said that the bothersomeness was getting uncontrollable. And he said, quote, That special heaviness commenced to roll around in my gut, then up my spine, into my head and down again. I hurt from my balls to behind my eyes. It was a truly terrible kind of pain, and I felt like it wanted to tear me open so it could get out. In September 1969, Pee-wee said that he had a, quote, miracle, a beam of light, like a vision, when he picked up a hitchhiker one afternoon. Pee-wee tried to have sex with this young woman, and she turned him down like the rest. Like all the other ones, Pee-wee pulled over to tell her to get out of the car, and as he's sitting there staring at her, Pee-wee decided to attack. He punched her in the side of the head multiple times until she was knocked out. After she was unconscious, Pee-wee used his belt to tie her hands behind her back. He pulled her out of the truck and laid her on the ground until she woke up. When she woke up, Pee-wee cut off one of her nipples, put it between his teeth, and smiled at her. Then Pee-wee put her nipple in her mouth and forced her to swallow it. Then Pee-wee put her back in the truck and drove to a swamp. Once he got to a spot he was comfortable with, he took her back out of the truck, bent her over, and put an 11-inch knife in her vagina and pulled up. Then he chained her to a log, and using a pulley system on his truck, he lowered the log into the swamp and waited until the water went calm. Afterwards, Pee-wee said he stopped at a diner, had a huge steak, and said, quote, I felt truly the best I ever remembered feeling in my whole life. Uh, again, I think this is the post-prison fantasies of a, you know, two-bit hillbilly dreaming about what he, <laughs> what he would have liked to have done. Kind of like the College Mike stories. <laughs> For the record, College Mike never did anything quite like this. <laughs> yeah, because, like, I don't know. This just sounds like... I don't believe this. Yeah, he's trying to get himself over. We don't have enough time to go through everything that Pee Wee said about the coastal kills. He doesn't really name off actual victims. He just names off stuff he did, like talking about taking molten lead and pouring it in a, a woman's mouth and all this really fucked up oh, stuff. Man. Fantasies. Yeah. But who knows? You know, we don't know. I think, well, we'll talk about it at the end, but I think that some of maybe there was a couple actual coastal kills. Mm-hmm. I think I was going to say that just a bit ago, like maybe one or two. And then in his mind, he's like, oh. Uh, it was so many years I could, you know, build this up and talk about what I would have wanted to do or, you know, like there was a base for these stories, but they Maybe. were highly sure. exaggerated. Yeah. I think that's plausible. Yeah. That makes sense. 
I mean, if you're willing to kill people you know and have relationships with, you're probably willing to kill strangers, right? I would agree with that, sure. Well, Pee-wee says that the first coastal kill happened in 1969, and his first, uh, what he called serious murders, started in 1970. We're going to start talking about the serious murders in a minute, but regarding the coastal kills, Pee-wee claimed to average one murder per week driving up and down the coast. According to Pee-wee, the coastal kills lasted until 1975, and pretty quick into his run as a serial killer, Pee-wee lost count. He said, quote, They're mostly just a jumble of faces and bodies and memories of things I did to them. The closest figure I can come up with is 80 to 90. I finally reached the point where I wanted the bothersomeness to start. I looked forward to it every month because it felt so good relieving myself of it. The first thing that popped in my mind in regards to debunking his claim of 80 to 90 was the Texas killing fields because that's going on I-45 through Texas. There's at least 30 bodies have been found and almost 800 people have been missing since the seventies. That place is famous. You know, uh, there's a lot of big cases. I want to do a, a full episode on that. But if in 1970 to 1975, at least 90 women went missing, there would be some something, some buzz around that Especially area. Especially in South Carolina, right? Yeah. A smaller population than, say... Someone would start putting that together. Yeah, I think that's right. Eventually, someone would put that together and be like, why are there so many people going missing? And it would be a stretch? thing. It would be a thing. The they'd put their killings of South Carolina. Right. They'd have sure. their FBI people on it trying to find a profile. And right. Yeah. I think that makes sense. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Pee Wee. What's his name in real life? Pee Wee? Yeah. Paul Rubens. Does he do those videos? <laughs> oh, fuck. We should get him. You know, oh, the, cameo? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I would love man. it. Can you imagine, I we, fucking love Pee-wee Herman. pay for a Pee-wee Herman one and just to plug Necronomapod? would <laughs> <laughs> be great. That would be so sweet. And the final truth, the only coastal kill Pee-wee gets specific about as far as remembering a victim's name was 16-year-old Ann Culberson, who he picked up near Myrtle Beach in 1971. Pee-wee said that he remembered her name because she was actually really nice to him. Pee-wee claims that he held her for four days where he raped her multiple times. Then when he got bored, he hit her in the head multiple times with a hammer, slit her throat, and threw her body in some quicksand. And that's pretty much the end of what we're going to talk about with the coastal kills. Um, like I said before, it's just wild fantasy, and he doesn't really give you know, any details about victims, just what he did to them. Agree. Who was the who? Who did he co-write this book with? Um, let me look up the author's name. Like, is this guy a legitimate author? Yeah, he like, is, and he was. We talked about last week. He got blackballed from like the. Oh, good. I was going to say the community. For okay, putting good. This out. Yeah. Good, because this seems like a bunch of nonsense. Yeah, the guy stopped. He stopped doing interviews and stuff. He oh, just kind of disappeared. A hole. Also, when you guys were kids, did you think quicksand was like a bigger problem than it actually is? Uh, yes. Yeah. And I thought it was terrifying. It was super fucking scary. I was like, how are we not addressing this issue? Right. Like, I, I would think, like, I might just be out for a walk, and I would step into this quicksand, and if no one could throw me a rope, I would just sink. But turns out my whole adult life, I've never run into any quicksand anywhere. Isn't that weird? 
I think in reality, too, it takes a really long time yeah, to sink right, a great right. quicksand. Like, oh, it was represented in, you know, shows. Like, people just immediately sink below and they're gone. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> Why is nobody talking about this? <laughs> it turns out it's not that big of a deal, though. <laughs> Who knew? It's probably like you stepped on a soft spot of the ground. You're like, oh, fuck. Right. And then better, pull your foot back out. <laughs> Um, uh, Gaskin's book was co-written by Wilton Earl mm. with an introduction by Colin Wilson. I hope he got blackballed too. Colin Wilson's intro is like, don't fucking read this book. It's pure <laughs> shit. <laughs> There's more truth in the Bible. <laughs> oh, well, there is, isn't there? It's a hundred percent true, Mike. Okay. I wasn't making a joke. Oh, okay. Stating I apologize. So in 1970, Pee Wee committed the first of his serious murders, and this one is 100% verified. The first two victims were his 15-year-old niece, Janice Kirby, and her 17-year-old friend, Patricia Alsobrook. Pee Wee said that he ran into Janice and Patricia at a local bar, and Janice had drank too many beers and was on the verge of passing out. The girl she was with asked if Pee Wee could give her a ride home, to which he said, sure. Janice's friend Patricia went with them in what kind of sounded like she wanted to make sure her friend was okay because Pee Wee is a known creep, which we know is a very accurate instinct on Patricia's part. Good job, Patty. Pee Wee was talking in his book that he had been fantasizing about raping his niece for a while at this point. I meant to do that. (laughs) Pee Wee took them to get some coffee to maybe sober Janice up. And not long after, Janice threw up. Pee-wee said he would take them back to his place so that she could clean up, but in reality, he took them to an old abandoned house that he knew about. Once they were in the house, Pee-wee put a knife up to Janice's throat, but Patricia came from behind and blasted Pee-wee in the head with a two-by-four. The girls took off into the woods, but Pee-wee caught up, fired a warning shot in the air, and at gunpoint told them to get back into the house. Once back in the house, the girls fought back again, but this time Pee Wee pistol whipped both of them, knocking them both unconscious. At this point, Pee Wee put Patricia in the trunk of his car and left Janice in the house. He then went to another abandoned house that he knew about, and this one had a septic tank. Pee Wee got the lid off the tank and put Patricia in while she was still alive. Pee Wee said he waited until there were no more bubbles, and then he closed the lid. When he got back to the house, that he left Janice at, Pee-wee found that she had died from being beaten with his gun, so he buried her in the backyard. That's awfully vile, putting an alive person into a septic tank to drown. And that that's true. He led police to those bodies. Wow. I read that he showed police the location of a couple bodies in exchange for a conjugal visit with his wife. Is that true? I found a lot, uh, like I was trying to look at a lot of sources and there's a lot of misinformation, it seems, out there. Like a lot of different versions of all these stories. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That might be a discussion for the end of the show, but. I'm not sure about that. It could very well could have been. I couldn't corroborate it anywhere. It's just such a. There seems to be a lot of, uh, I guess, myth with Pee Wee. I think that's right. Yeah. And maybe that's from his book, too. Maybe that was part of his thing. Yeah. It seems that we got a lot of messages I did on Instagram of people saying like, oh, a family member of a, a friend of a family member knew Pee Wee 
back in the day. I had a lot of those. Really? Seems like that kind of story. Yeah. Like tight knit, smaller town in the South. Yeah. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone's kind of like a semi-criminal who knows everyone's, <laughs> everyone's business. Like they all have their toe in something. And well, they all come from bootleggers, right? <laughs> something like, like that. Running sure. from the law, getting those hot rods, you know, souped up, Get racing them on NASCAR tracks. formation. Yeah, hey, you said it, not me. <laughs> Obviously, the police saw that Pee Wee was the last one to be seen with the girls, so they started pushing on him for info. Pee-wee told police that the girls were talking about California a bunch, and he said that he dropped them off, and at that point, they got into a car with some boys that he had never seen before. The police were suspicious, but they had no evidence and nothing to go on, so the girls were chalked up to being runaways. I mean, he seems like a likely suspect, right? His <laughs> yeah. prior record. Maybe you should have uh, followed him a little longer. I don't know. It's like, oh, I don't know what to tell you. I think they ran off to California. Okay. Like, okay. <laughs> Barney, he says he doesn't know nothing about it. <laughs> Let's go talk to Floyd the drunk. <laughs> I think you mixed up some names there, pal. <laughs> Wasn't Floyd the, uh, he was the barber. Oh, it was Floyd the barber? I Who's forget, the drunk? I forget his name. Oh, well, close enough. Yeah. Sorry, my Andy Griffith trivia is not quite what it should be. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> I used to watch it all the time. It's a good show. I did not. So Old wholesome just... television. How's Barney Fife is hilarious. <laughs> Barney Fife is hilarious. He was never allowed to real he was allowed to carry his gun, but it wasn't allowed to be any bullets in it. <laughs> he was funny on Three's Company too, that guy, Don Knotts. Yeah, he really was. I didn't watch He's a, lot a of funny Three's guy, Company, but Don Knotts was good. Oh fuck, what's the trunk's name? I'm gonna have to look it up while you guys are talking. Go ahead, Ian. A month later, Pee Wee kidnapped, raped, and murdered thirteen year old Peggy Catino. Pee-wee said that Peggy had given him an attitude, a lot like the girl we talked about in part one that told Pee-wee he wasn't shit and he hit her in the head with a ball-peen hammer. Pee-wee said he let it go, but a couple of days later, he was sitting at his favorite restaurant, the Crab Tooth, just, <laughs> <laughs> just dwelling on it, getting madder and madder. So to make sure that he had an alibi, Pee-wee went to a bar that he was a regular at in Charleston and made sure that everyone saw him. Then, without saying goodbye to anyone or anyone noticing, he left. Pee-wee drove back to Sumter County, where Peggy lived. Pee-wee raped, tortured, and murdered Peggy, and then left her body to be found on purpose. Peggy's case was given special treatment because her father was a senator, but Pee-wee was never taken serious as a suspect. A guy named William Pierce went down for the murder, but William Pierce was also a piece of shit. Like he wasn't some innocent guy that was going down for this. He was on his way to life in prison for rape and murder uh, that he 100% committed. I think that's pretty smart of him to go to the bar, see everyone, make yourself known, then just kind of slip out. It, it really is a good move. I mean, yeah, he does it multiple times. It's a good plan. I just picture him going up to everybody, like tapping everybody on the shoulder. Like, it's me. I'm oh, here. Yeah. Hey, hey, how's it going? Because, <laughs> yeah. like, you don't want to make a Absolutely. big scene to where, like, everyone notices when you're not there. But, like, just enough that, like, everyone sees you, knows you're there. Yeah. You're gone for a bit. And then you come back and everyone's like, oh, hey, you know, yeah. I hadn't seen you in a bit. Right. Look, Andy, uh, they saw him <laughs> at the crab tooth. It wasn't him. <laughs> it's Otis, by the way. Otis the drunk. Otis was the That's drunk. That's it. Yeah. Floyd the barber, Otis the drunk. Yeah. Couldn't have been Pee-wee, Andy. <laughs> uh, Barney the deputy and obviously Andy the sheriff. <laughs> little town called Mayberry. Maybe, maybe Opie killed her. 
That was for sure Aunt B, right? <laughs> <laughs> Even though Pee Wee had killed for sure three people, and if you believe the coastal kills, it's a lot more. Um, Pee Wee wasn't keeping a low profile at all. He never stopped being a suspect in the disappearance of Janice and Patricia, but that didn't phase Pee Wee. He bought a Cadillac hearse and started driving it around town. Pee Wee put stickers on the hearse. Uh, one said, we haul anything. And then he added the words alive, <laughs> alive or dead. And another sticker next to it that said, support your local sheriff. Now, look, <laughs> given the fact that it's him doing it, it's repulsive. But in general, that'd be fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just riding around town in a hearse you bought, you know, off a, a lot somewhere. Just with these ridiculous stickers on it. It's like, unbelievable. That's, it's a little funny. He also attached a crank siren to the roof of the hearse and he would crank it around town, uh, specifically past his favorite bars to fuck with people, make them think the cops were coming. Not to be confused with my crank siren, which goes off every time Britney Spears has a new Instagram post. <laughs> They've been pretty good lately. <laughs> oh, was, I know. She was naked all over the beach. Oh, to be that water, Dave. She looks pretty good. I got to admit. She still can't sing, but she looks pretty good. She can't really dance. She looks like she's been the dancing stung is, is by really a, a bunch of wasps when she danced. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So anyways, check out her Instagram. You know, the interesting thing that I forgot to put in the outline is that Pee Wee was completely sober. He never drank alcohol. He was straight edge his whole life. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. No alcohol involved in any of this. He's so he's drinking Red Bulls up there well, at the crab, <laughs> crab tooth all night. No <laughs> drugs either, I'm assuming. No, so nothing. That's interesting, sure. So yeah, he would just show up and have Coke and stuff at the bar and be doing this stuff sober. To be able to do this with- sort of stuff sober is uh, a whole nother level, I think. Do we talk about a lot of guys who are addicts that when they do their killing? Or is it just people that, you know, would drink and be social as, you know, like you hear, I go back to him, but like Ed Kemper would drink at the bar with the cops and who else was, uh, it? was it? Gacy would drink? Yeah, he always threw parties and stuff. Yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer used to have to get blackout drunk to dismember right. people. Right. That's right. I remember that. Did you guys know he was killed in prison? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that until we did this show. What? <laughs> Learn something new every day. <laughs> Pee-wee was also going as far as to tell people that the reason that he drove a hearse was because he needed a lot of room to haul his murder victims to his private cemetery. Like he would just be like, oh yeah, it's because I kill so many people. Hiding in plain sight. And they're like, oh yeah, very Pee-wee. In March of 1971, Pee-wee committed another one of his serious murders, this time of 20-year-old Martha Ann Dix, who went by the nickname Clyde. Martha was a black woman who worked at the same auto garage as Pee Wee did, stripping cars. This area was insanely racist. Pee Wee talks about clan rallies and shit in the book. There's some very uh, offensive language being used in that book. In South Carolina? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no. I don't believe it. And there's murders we're going to talk about that race was clearly the motivating factor. But Martha was different. And... I don't know if it was like this thing where because she grew up in that town, she was just accepted like she's one of us. Um, But she was like one of the guys and she would talk shit right back to to everyone at the garage. 
everyone at the garage fucked with Pee Wee because how it's told is that Pee Wee was hilarious when he got really mad. <laughs> I bet he was. <laughs> They'd piss him off and then do one of those things like you hold his head and he's just like swinging at the air. <laughs> Let me go. I'm going to get you. I'm going to kick your ass. Like, sit the fuck down. You stand up on a desk and he can't get you. <laughs> Put out mouse traps, he gets caught in them. <laughs> so clearly being sarcastic, Martha started telling guys in the shop that her and Pee Wee were hooking up, which was getting under Pee Wee's skin. Then Martha bumped it up to that she got pregnant by Pee Wee and that the baby was going to have her last name, so it would be named Pee Wee Dicks. <laughs> that, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Everyone thought like, it was hilarious. I'm a big fan of Martha. Right. So, yeah, everyone thought it was hilarious, but it sent Pee Wee over. One night, he lured Martha to that abandoned house on the promise of some weed and alcohol. Pee Wee said that he forced her to drink a drink that was spiked with some kind of poison. Then, once Martha was dead, he weighed her down and sunk her in a nearby creek. This next one is confirmed as far as the two people we're going to be discussing that they were murdered by Pee Wee, um, but there's two versions. This one that I'm going to talk about, and then Pee Wee's final truth. This is the part that we alluded to last week, so I think a disclaimer is probably good, right? Skip ahead a couple minutes. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, you know, and we said it how many times as we've done the show, like the most, the worst case we ever talked about. But this particular description is pretty uh, off the chart, vile, and I, I can't. Nothing worse comes to my mind. And again, we don't even know it to be true. It's just what he wrote in his book but it's still just disturbing and fucked up. Yeah. We know that these two victims, they were definitely murdered by him, I guess. So there's a, at least a 1% chance that what he wrote is true. Mm -hmm. I don't think it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I meant. His account of what went down. Right. And he swears up and down in his book that he wasn't racist and that killing Martha Dix had nothing to do with the fact that she was black. However, the murders of Doreen Dempsey, age 22, and Robin Dempsey, age 2, are definitely based around racism, regardless of what Pee Wee says. Pee Wee became friends with Doreen a couple years earlier, right around the time that Doreen gave birth to her daughter Robin. Fast forward, Robin is 2 years old and Doreen got pregnant again, but Pee Wee was pissed off because she had been dating a black man and he was the father. Doreen had been living with Pee Wee's friend Johnny Sellers and his brother Carl Sellers in North Charleston, South Carolina. They brought her to Pee Wee's house and left her there to talk to him about staying there for a bit while she was pregnant. Pissed off that Doreen was having a second baby who was biracial, Pee Wee responded by walking her to his backyard pond where he drowned both Doreen and Robin. So that's fact. Well, that's what the police go off of, that version of events. But those two... Um, were murdered. So we're just going to get into what PB wrote about this in Final Truth. Skip ahead five minutes if you don't want to hear it. Yeah, it's a little bit uh, lengthy. Um, probably like a page and a half worth just of, you know, straight up uh, just the text of what he wrote in his book. So, um, you know, skip ahead a little bit if you don't want to hear it. If you want to stick around, stick around. Uh, you get to hear my voice. So, you know. Probably reason to skip ahead. Um, But anyways, okay. For reasons that get apparent real soon, this here is the hardest murder for me to tell about. If the facts had got knowed too soon, my life would have been a pure living hell. But in the end, 
because the end is coming real soon for me. All my final truth gets told here, no matter what. So here it goes. I had known Doreen Dempsey a long time. Her stepdaddy and all his family worked with the carnival and lived in Sumter. That's how I got to know them. Doreen was adopted and give her folks an awful lot of grief. My wife had known her a long time before I ever did. And once when Doreen was on the outs with her folks about something, she came and stayed with us. That was when we lived in Sumter before we moved to Charleston at about the time our son was born. And so Doreen helped take care of him then first few months. Later, when Doreen got pregnant and went to that home for unwedded mothers in 1971, we went to see her. I guess you could say we was more than friends. In a way, she was like part of our family. Her and her little girl, Robin Michelle, used to come see us pretty often in Charleston, where they also lived. But we hadn't heard nothing from her since we moved to Prospect. Then one evening, Doreen, pregnant again, showed up in Prospect with two-year-old Robin and a son of a bitch named Johnny Sellers, who I had some previous deals with. It was a cold night, real windy. Doreen and Johnny drank a couple of beers and stayed to supper, and I remember little Robin Michelle climbing on, quote, Pee-wee's WAP after we ate. She felt special good. I took a lap blanket from the couch and put it around her, and she snuggled against me to keep warm. Doreen said her and Robin needed a place to live until her next baby come, which looked like it could be any time. She said she was seven months, but she looked more to me. I told her we just didn't have enough room in our little place. For her and Robin and me and my wife and our son to all live. I suggested she ought to go back to Charleston or to help stepmama's house or to her stepmama's house in Sumter. Johnny Sellers said he had to go to Columbia later that night, so he couldn't take her nowhere. A few minutes later, we finished another beer. He finished another beer and left. Doreen was real upset. I laid Robin Michelle on the sofa, real gentle, and tucked the blanket around her. Then I asked Doreen to take a walk with me. Once we was outside, I told her that I didn't want my wife to hear, but I had a trailer near Roper's Crossroads where she and Robin could live rent-free, and I would give her some money to live on, but I expected regular servicing in return. She hugged me and said she didn't know what I wanted from a big, fat, pregnant girl like her, but whatever it was, I could have it. Then we went back inside, and like we had arranged, she said she had decided to go back to Charleston on the bus and have her baby at Roper Hospital there. I told my wife I had given Doreen $20 and was going to drive her to the bus station. Doreen and Robin and me left in the hearse. After a few miles, I drove off the main road, closer to Johnsonsville, than Prospect. And I told Doreen I wanted her to get naked and give me a blowjob. She hesitated because Robin was watching, but finally she said okay and crawled in the back of the hearse and took off her clothes, which was a real job for a girl that pregnant. Then I told her to hold her hands in front of her, and I put handcuffs on her and she acted scared until I laughed and told her that it was just part of my sexy ways. She relaxed, and I told Robin to get in the back with her mama, and I got naked, and Doreen kneeled as best she could and commenced sucking. Then I reached over and picked up Robin and started taking off her clothes. Doreen stopped what she was doing and asked me what the hell I was up to. I didn't reply nothing. I just picked up the ball-peen hammer and popped her aside the head. She fell over sideways and lay still. Robin started sobbing. I had her and said for her not to worry and not to cry because Mama was just sleeping. She got quiet, and I finished undressing her and smelled her and tasted of her. Then I made her take up where her Mama left off, which took a lot of forcing, but finally she did what I said. Then I lifted her up and slid her down onto me, which made her scream real loud. So I gagged her with her panties and duct tape. 
It was like something overpowerful was pushing me into that little thing. I couldn't stop. I needed real bad to feel my dick inside her, front and back. I choked her to death when I cummed in her ass. It was the best and most poweringest cum I ever felt. Doreen was still breathing. She was too fat for me to pick up and carry, so I tied a rope around one of her legs and dragged her out of the hearse to a spot that looked soft, and I dug a grave for her and her unborn baby and put them in it. Then I cut her throat and covered the hole. I found a spot just big enough for Robin under a tree slump and buried her there. I told my wife and Doreen's friends and family that I had took them to a bus station in Florence, and as far as I knew, Doreen and Robin were in Charleston. I never heard much else about them. Leastwise, the law never asked me anything about them. That was something. How'd you feel reading that, Mike? Not pleasant. First of all, the guy can't write for shit. The words are all misspelled. He should be executed for <laughs> grammar alone, regardless of yeah. what else he did in his life. Just and his grammar should have him executed. I like to tell myself that that didn't actually happen and that he's just kind of exaggerating and, and you know, almost trying, which I guess is sick that he thinks this is tooting his own horn. Yeah. Uh, but I guess that just shows the level of, you know, depravity this guy had. But mm. I, eh, maybe the toughest thing I've ever read on this show. It's like a Serbian film there. Uh, yeah. Have you ever seen I'm starting Serbian to think film. the Serbian film is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> might, might not be. I don't want to watch it. I've never seen it. I haven't either. Dave thinks it's a, a fucking comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it was a slapstick comedy. Come on. It was so ridiculous. I'm like, this has to be a comedy. This is so stupid. <laughs> it's just so off the charts that... Also, I just want to say that uh, if anyone, any of you are curious, which of the last uh, uh, monologue that Mike just read is going to make it to my soundboard, you should join Patreon this week and see what <laughs> see what gets used next week. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see based on the words I was forced to say. Cummingest. That's, Cummingest. Going, that's going to the soundboard for sure. <laughs> was it cummingest? Is that... Is that not right? Was it? Poweringest. Oh, poweringest <laughs> cum. That's right. Yeah. That was my most poweringest cum. <laughs> Jesus. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm not buying it. I, I think it's a nonsense. Yeah. I don't know if I'm not buying it because I don't want to buy it or if I just truly don't believe it. But yeah. either way, like just. I mean, the, regardless of how or what he he murdered a two-year-old girl yeah, because right. her body was found in the tree stomp like like peewee said and i have a question though was it found like his story was that he drowned him in his pond in his backyard that's what the police thought if, as far as i know they didn't find him in the backyard right no they found them in the stump and in so even if buried. he did even if he did drown him in a pond in his backyard then he moved them miles away and buried him somewhere else right okay I mean, this wife sounds like uh, our friend uh, Jerry Bruto's wife. Not really. Uh, not, <laughs> not sure what's going on with. Her. I had no not idea. Really, not really paying attention though. I honest to God forgot he was married. I mean, he even mentions her in what I read. Yeah, and as I'm right. reading, I'm like, God damn, he's still married six times. That's right. Lots of wives. Lots of thirteen year old wives, I believe. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm starting to think this is not a very nice man. Yeah, I think that's where I'm leaning with to, right now, too. This boy-sized man. <laughs> this Tom Cruise height serial killer. 
I think even Tom Cruise could kick this guy's ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's Tom Cruise from Top Gun volleyball scene. Oh, he's he ripped. Kick, kick anybody's ass. Science. <laughs> All right, what else do you have in store for us this evening, Ian? It's been great so far. Look, I'm going to take the rest of the show off after that one. I need a cool down beer. The car stripping business was going good for Pee Wee. The garage where he worked was making a ton of money stripping stolen cars, and Pee Wee was kind of the head of the operation. After Doreen and Robin's murders, Pee Wee ran into trouble with his stripping business, specifically with 22 year old Jesse Ruth Judy and 36-year-old Johnny Sellers, who Pee-wee referenced in that shit Mike just read. What the police say happened here is that Jesse's ex-husband, James Judy, paid Pee-wee to kill Jesse and Johnny because Jesse had been having an affair with Johnny. James Judy was convicted of these murders, but Pee-wee says that James Judy had nothing to do with it. Pee-wee admits that there was all this cheating stuff going on, and in Pee-wee's words, James Judy and Johnny Sellers, quote, never saw balls to balls about nothing. But these murders were all on Pee-wee. Pee-wee said that he shot Johnny Sellers in the back of the head after Johnny started complaining about money he was owed after he and Pee-wee had sold a stolen boat. And then just because Jesse Judy was a witness, Pee-wee stabbed her to death. He buried them in the woods right where he killed them in the same grave. Again, small town incest crime family. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone's <laughs> connected somehow. At this point, we're getting to 1975, which Pee Wee said was his quote, killingest year. <laughs> <laughs> he claimed that guy the- adds S to everything. <laughs> All the whole book is so absurd. That was read. the poopiest po- poop I ever took. <laughs> I ever took did. <laughs> He claimed that the coastal kills were still going strong, which they most definitely weren't, but the serious murders were still going strong. His first serious murder of 1975 was a murder for hire plot in February. Pee Wee said that he was hanging out at one of his favorite bars when he was approached by a guy named John Powell, who he knew from his time in prison. Powell said that his friend, Suzanne Kipper, wanted her ex-boyfriend murdered, and Powell thought that Pee Wee would be the guy to do it. Suzanne was with a 45-year-old guy named Silas Yates, and Silas was a wealthy guy and pretty much a sugar daddy to Suzanne. He was buying her all kinds of expensive shit like cars, and they had a falling out, so he tried to take some of it back. Suzanne wasn't trying to give up the car and all that shit, so she offered Pee-wee 1500 to kill Silas. $8,000 in today's money. Was that a good price for a contract killing? I don't think so. It's not a lot of money. I don't think I'm doing that. And like that guy wasn't even involved. He's like brokering murder for hire deals for her, his friend who's mad at her boyfriend. Like, why do you involve yourself in, in <laughs> yeah. stuff like that? It's almost like you just do this for free. He just wants to hurt people. <laughs> right. and kill. Like if I, like if our pal, just brew Jared, uh, we'll call him JBJ. If JBJ came to us, like, Hey, my sugar mama's cut me off. We kill her for 1500 bucks. <laughs> Like, no, I don't want to be involved in that. <laughs> Sounds like you're you're, you're across the bear, pally. You deal like, with that. You're our homie, but we don't want to be involved in your murder for hire plots. Might help you bury the body after the fact, but that's a different story. Yeah. That's an accessory after the fact. It's a lot less severe. I would be puking like Henry Hill. 
digging that grave. <laughs> <laughs> and we go eat, you know, sausages and pasta in the middle of the That's night. Right. So Pee Wee agreed to do it. And he called 25-year-old Diane Neely, who was separated from another guy Pee Wee knew in prison named Walter Neely. Diane was to be the bait to get Silas out of his house. So one night she went up to his front door, knocked, and said that her car was broken down. When Silas came out, Pee-wee jumped out from behind the car with a gun pointed at him. Pee-wee ordered Silas into the trunk, and then according to Pee-wee, he drove Silas to a remote area where Powell and another man were waiting. Pee-wee pulled Silas out of the trunk, stabbed him multiple times in the chest with that 11-inch knife that we talked about earlier, and then he told Powell and the other guy to start digging the grave. According to Pee-wee, he started a sexual relationship with Suzanne after this, but there's no evidence besides the nonsense that he wrote in his book. But Suzanne did go to jail for hiring Pee-wee to murder Silas. Who was the other guy? I don't know. Eh, Pee-wee doesn't name him. Yeah. Eh, okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Seems like there's a lot of people in this town up for doing a lot of bad stuff. Uh, most of the people that we talked about that we talk about, you know, from here on out or went to jail for stuff mm. regarding all of this. He's like, I'm your power man. You have to do whatever I say. Yeah. It'll be just like this when you're in prison. So you might as well get used to it now. Right? <laughs> They're like, but you're two foot one. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I'm a power man. <laughs> so two months after Pee Wee murdered Silas, Diane Neely called Pee Wee for money. Diane had moved on from Walter Neely and she was now dating a guy who was 34-year-old Avery Howard. Diane told Avery about how she helped in a murder for hire, and the two of them decided to try and blackmail Pee-wee for 5000 and in return, they would just stay quiet. Which is weird, because Diane Neely would want to stay quiet to begin with, because she right. played a big role in this. <laughs> blackmailing when you were part of the, the, the scheme. I don't think you know what blackmailing means. <laughs> A lot of bright bulbs going uh, going off down here. Uh, Pee Wee said, "Okay, fine. He'd pay them. That he had a bunch of money buried in Prospect, but they would have to come with him to get it. In reality, the spot where he was taking them to was the same spot that he had buried Jesse, Judy, and Johnny Sellers. Like he told them that he in his book he says that there was a hollowed out tree out there that he stored a bunch of money. In. Smart. <laughs> They're like Oker." <laughs> Meet you there. <laughs> Pee Wee did the same thing that he did a while back where he went to his favorite bar and made sure that everyone saw him. And then when it got super busy, he slipped out without telling anyone. Then he met with Diane and Avery and told them to follow him into the woods. Once they got out there, all they saw was the grave that Pee Wee had already dug. And before they could run or really do anything, Pee Wee shot each of them in the back of the head and just rolled them into the grave. Yeah. It's like Tommy and Goodfellas when they take him to the basement and something. He's like, oh, yeah. that's it. It almost makes me wonder with the murders we do know that he committed, stuff like this, if he really didn't get some advice from Frank Costello with that whole wise men shit. Mm. His, a lot of his murders are very mob-like. Or it, was he just infatuated with the mob so he concocted that story about Frank and Costello to make himself feel cooler too? Maybe. You know? Maybe when, while he was in mm. locked up, he, you know, well, I guess he did. So this was all before he was locked up, but maybe he was just into that mob lifestyle too. Good points. Good points. Yeah. 
Could be either one. I don't know. I'm just Look, Pee Wee, this is how you whack them. <laughs> I mean, he said that they gave him tons of yeah. tons of advice. What would Pee Wee have said? But <laughs> <laughs> you had these memorized. <laughs> Look, Pee Wee, this is how you whack them. <laughs> you got nothing? No? Okay. <laughs> I'd like to have a little informal chat with you, okay? <laughs> that works. Mr. Frank. <laughs> Walks into his cell, closes the door behind him. He says that. (laughs) Not long after this, Pee Wee continued his serious murders with 13-year-old Kim Galkins. Like the 12-year-old girl in part one, Kim lived next door to Pee Wee, and he was always hitting on her. One day, she very sternly told him to fuck off, to which Pee Wee kidnapped, raped, and murdered her. Pee Wee then buried her body next to Silas Yates. Kim's father and one of her teachers uh, knew this wasn't like her to just run away. So they pushed the police enough that they started looking into it as an actual missing persons case. And at that point, police started to take the shit that Pee Wee ran his mouth about a little more serious. Probably about time. Well overdue. Yeah. The last two murders Pee Wee would commit for sure before he was arrested were the murders of Dennis Bellamy, age 27 and John Knight, age 15. The two of them were half brothers, and Dennis Bellamy was the biological brother of Diane of Diane Neely. I see you shaking your head. <laughs> Everyone's related. <laughs> so Dennis Bellamy was the biological brother of Diane Neely, who Pee Wee had already murdered. Dennis and John Knight broke into Pee Wee's garage where he was doing all this illegal shit, and they stole almost everything. So Pee Wee called Walter Neely. Um and within this, all this this web of terrible people, Walter Neely is at the root of how all of these people knew Pee Wee. We said earlier that Pee Wee knew Walter from prison, but specifically, Pee Wee said that he was Walter's power man in state prison. I'm your power man. So Pee Wee was sexually assaulting Walter Neely. Oh my God! The whole the whole power man thing. So they emptied out his whole garage and stole everything he had. This 15-year-old kid and uh, the brother of Diane Neely. Right. Are you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) My garage is empty? (laughs) I kept thinking about that all week last week. Like, what if this, what if Pee-wee's Big Adventure was this story (laughs) and Pee-wee Herman played Pee-wee Gaskins? (laughs) Great. Be a hell of a movie. That's some deep storytelling. I'm trying to slit your throat. (laughs) No. He's going to be so sad when this series is over. We have to move on to something else next week. Walter told Pee Wee that he saw Dennis and John Knight riding around town in one of Pee Wee's cars that they stole from him. So Pee-wee came up with a similar plan to when he killed Silas Yates. Pee-wee used Walter as bait. He told Walter to go tell Dennis and John Knight that Pee-wee wasn't mad. He actually wanted to reward them for having the balls to rip him off. Oh, good story. They're like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Walter Walter told the two to meet him and Pee-wee at Pee-wee's house. After they hung out for a bit, Pee-wee asked Dennis to ride with him and Walter to check out a possible location to build a new garage. 
In reality, Pee-wee and Walter took Dennis to the spot in the woods where Pee-wee had been burying all these bodies. Pee-wee took out his flashlight and told Dennis to look off into the distance. Like, uh, like see that building out there? Look real hard. You'll see it out there. And while Dennis was looking, Pee-wee shot him in the back of the head. Oh my! But wait, there's more. <laughs> Pee-wee and Walter went back to Pee-wee's house where John Knight was just hanging out eating food. Pee-wee told John that Dennis was excited about the new location and wanted John to come see. When they got there, Pee-wee pulled the same shit, told John to look in the distance for the building, and then shot him in the back of the head. This was the first time that Pee-wee ever had a witness like Walter, and Pee-wee actually liked Walter and didn't want to kill him. So Pee-wee decided to test Walter to make sure that he could trust him. First, Pee-wee made Walter dig the grave for Dennis and John. As he went forward with his test, he said he started this one off because if he fails the other tests, the grave's already dug for his body. Smart. Multitasking. <laughs> <laughs> Guy's all about logistics. I can respect that. Once the grave was dug, Pee-wee shined his flashlight a little ways away and said, that's where I buried your ex-wife, Diane, and her boyfriend, Avery. Pee-wee then told Walter the whole story of the blackmail and all that shit and asked Walter if he thought Pee-wee did the right thing. Walter said Pee-wee was in the right. Uh, the only thing Walter said that he was upset about was John Knight because he was 15 years old. Mm. He was like, yeah, the kid really didn't do anything. Yeah. And so at that point, they buried Dennis and John's bodies. After this, Pee-wee and Walter stayed up all night talking, and Pee-wee started confessing to all the murders and telling Walter exactly where he, all the bodies were buried. Not surprisingly, Pee-wee didn't say anything about the coastal kills. He just talked about the 13 that we know for sure, um, which puts more weight to the theory that he just sat in prison for eight years coming up with all this shit. Yeah, sure. By October 1975, Pee-wee was out of town in Georgia, and Kim Gelkins' father pushed hard enough that a Sumter deputy sheriff searched Pee-wee's house and found some of Kim's clothes in his closet. The evidence didn't support a murder charge, but Pee-wee was wanted for contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Pee-wee got back from Georgia on November 14, 1975, to find police staked out around his house. Pee-wee took off to the local bus station, but the police grabbed him before he could get on a bus. It didn't take long for Walter Neely to tell the police everything that he knew. He led the police to Pee-wee's graveyard, where victims Dennis and John Knight were unearthed on December 4th. A day later, diggers found the bodies of Johnny Sellers, Jesse Judy, Avery Howard, and Diane Neely. On December 10th, Walter led them to the graves of Doreen Dempsey and her daughter Robin. About all this, Pee-wee said, quote, The coroner had the bodies, Jesus had Walter, and the law had me. Clever. The Jesus had Walter thing is because Walter started feeling guilty after he talked to a priest. As he should, right? That's the show, though, Pee-wee's Graveyard. Pee-wee's Graveyard! <laughs> Instead of cherry, we have coffin, and coffin <laughs> talks and stuff. <laughs> Are we writing this movie? Is this going to happen? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> cool down media productions. Pee-wee was tried on one charge of murder on May 24th, 1976, found guilty on May 28th, and sentenced to death, which was later commuted to life in prison when South Carolina ruled that it would follow the U.S. Supreme Court guidelines for the death penalty in other states. Um, Goddamn Mike Namapod libtard court. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Amen. Letting the murderers <laughs> off. <laughs> I applaud South Carolina. <laughs> why was he? Uh, why are they only charge him with one murder? I think it was like a. It sounded like a get it over and done with. Like it's interesting. We're done. We're done with him. Yeah. Sentence him to death. Again, I found a lot of misinformation out there when I was looking. Like you know, he was convicted of eight murders and all this stuff. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a tough one to research. That's just weird. Not sure like, why. Oh, we're just going to do one and be done. But then you still like you have all those unsolved like murders. Like the family gets no closure of having someone convicted. Yeah. It was no mystery. Like they knew he did it. But yeah, it's interesting. But I mean, all the well, I guess the ones he talked about after were after the fact. But yeah. I don't know. That seems it's odd. odd. It's odd. Yeah. We have one more murder to talk about with Pee Wee. What? It's <laughs> encore, if you will. <laughs> yeah. 23-year-old Rudolph Tyner was on death row in CCI with Pee-wee for a double murder that Tyner committed in March of 1978. The death penalty was back on the table, uh, and we'll get into that in a minute. Rudolph Tyner robbed a convenience store on March 18, 1978, and for no reason shot and killed both owners, Bill and Myrtle Moon. Their son, Tony Simo, knew that Rudolph was with Pee Wee Gaskins and knew about Pee Wee's reputation. So Tony reached out. And Tony got this information from a, a like he was shooting the shit with a construction worker with like a group of guys at the bar. Hmm. And he was talking about this like, oh yeah, I know a guy that knows a guy that knows Pee Wee. He's right in there. Hmm. Again, it's like, it makes sense. I know somebody yeah. who knows somebody. Yeah, yeah. Pee-wee said that he would kill Tyner for $2,000, to which Tony agreed. The only thing Pee-wee said was that he was going to have to get creative because on death row, they weren't allowed to get close to each other like that. Pee-wee wouldn't want them killing each other. (laughs) (laughs) Pee-wee made several unsuccessful attempts to kill Tyner by lacing his food and drinks with poison before he decided to use explosives to kill him. Pee-wee rigged a device similar to a portable radio in Tyner's cell and told Tyner this would allow them to talk to each other. Because they were buddies, themselves. right? Like they were hanging out. Yeah, like Pee Wee was setting them up. Yeah. When Pee Wee got this all set up, he told Tyner it was time to test it. Pee Wee told Tyner that he would have to hold the speaker on his end up to his ear when Pee Wee told him to. Little did Tyner know, Pee Wee had filled his speaker with C4 plastic explosives. As soon as Pee-wee heard Tyner's voice, Pee-wee detonated the explosives from his cell and killed Tyner instantly. Pee-wee later said, quote, the last thing Tyner heard was me laughing. (laughs) It's not funny to laugh at someone being killed, but it's so ridiculous. And you there's recorded audio tape of him making these phone calls from prison, like talking about. How, and I wanted to play him for the show, but they're really bad quality. Yeah. Like you have to really pay attention. And it's good with uh, subtitles online. Mm-hmm. Sure. sure. But talking with Tony Simo? Yeah. Hmm. He's telling him like what he needs to get. He's like, all I need is a half stick of dynamite. And he's like, well, I can't do that. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I could probably get you some plastic, like some C4 stuff. And he's like, all right, well, I'll make that work. God, how do you get C4 into fucking death row? <laughs> That's crazy. That really is. Hmm. Yeah, it was just like this little kind of walkie talkie thing. And it was, he just said, fucking right. genius is what it is. I'm not going to lie. That's a great idea. It was a big fucking explosion, too. Yeah, C4 usually is. <laughs> so Pee Wee was tried for Tyner's murder 
and sentenced to death. So ultimately he got the death penalty for killing some piece of shit in prison. Not one of the like, you know, 13 year olds he killed. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know what he did with, well, he didn't get the $2,000 obviously because he got tried for this. Did Tony Simo get in trouble? Yeah. Did he do time? Mm-hmm. Mm. Which, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, your parents get killed. Yeah, whatever. you know. Kill all those innocent people. Life in prison. Kill a prisoner. Death penalty. Well, he was Sorry. he was sentenced to death originally, but I then know. South Carolina got rid of it. And we talked about that earlier, Mike. You and your Supreme Court justice. When can we charge wardens now with uh, death penalties for killing all these people on death row? <laughs> I don't believe that's how it works. It does in this case. <laughs> Just saying. Murdering uh, death row inmates. Yeah. <laughs> about his credibility as far as the coastal kills and things like that went peewee wrote quote my final truth is the truth theirs is the lie it don't really matter what wardens and lawyers and judges and prosecutors decide to call something if it looks like an asshole and it smells like an asshole it's good for only two things three at most <laughs> I'm having a really hard Three time. What's the third thing? Well, <laughs> shitting, fucking, and licking, farting, maybe. I don't know. Cornholing, cornholing. I mean, it's his past. He grew up on it. <laughs> Pee Wee was executed on September 6, nineteen ninety-one, at one ten a.m., where he had to climb into the electric chair because it was too big. <laughs> His last words were, quote, I'll let my lawyers talk for me. I'm ready to go. Oh, I thought it was going to be, hey, can I get a boost? <laughs> <laughs> a step stool, anyone? And that is, oh, boy. You know, it's interesting. I read that he tried to slit his own wrist and kill himself in prison that mm-hmm. same day. Really? And he failed, though. So he bandaged him up and had him climb into the electric <laughs> chair. They, he talks about it in his book that he, he contemplates whether or not to kill himself and stick it to the law one last time. Or. <laughs> His book is for real, like a stream of consciousness from a complete piece of shit person. It reads that way with mm-hmm. just a little sample we've had. I tried to find a last meal. Couldn't find it anywhere. Really? It's not in my little handy dandy guide upstairs. And I uh, spent a little bit longer than I should have trying to find it somewhere. <laughs> and I, I could not find the last Why are meal. The last meal's not documented better. They usually are. Like in Texas and Florida for sure, but I don't know, South Carolina, maybe yeah, they don't they publicize it. Fucking send the bills back to their families. Hey, you owe us for this. <laughs> right. I could not find it. Fucking homie had a bucket of KFC and a <laughs> whole cheese pizza, so you owe us, you know, twenty six ninety nine. I also read an interview with uh one of his attorneys who said Pee Wee was quote, well spoken. <laughs> I said he was, huh? Really? <laughs> sure didn't translate into his writing. It's a Cracker Jack law degree, if you think <laughs> this fucking clown is well spoken. Seriously. But maybe his written word in his defense is not as well as his spoken word. I don't know. Are there not any interviews with him? Like can we can you just those audio recordings of the, the prison calls. calls? But he talks like that. Not well spoken. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he talks like how he reads. Interesting. And he's kind of like a higher pitched. He's got that real southern. Mm-hmm. Uh, we laughed a lot during these other episodes, but you know, it was more the Pee Wee Herman type stuff. I mean, this guy's a fuck. Yeah, this is some terrible stuff. 
the stuff he we know he did and then just the stuff he writes about like you know even if you didn't actually rape mm-hmm. a two-year-old girl you still killed her and her mom and then had the gall to go write this elaborate story about how you, you know, sexually assaulted both of them. Well, I'm sure even if he didn't do it, that's what he's sitting in prison fucking jerking off and fantasizing about right. for sure. Well, yeah. And, and yeah, and like that, you know, he uh, almost inflates his ego with it by writing it in his book. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is how hard I am. Like, look at all this stuff I did. I think that's it. This to me, much like H.H. H. Holmes, the two parts we've done him turned out to be like a bust, like completely different than what I expected it to be. This also was not what I expected it to be, but in like the, on the other side of it, where like this guy became a bigger piece of shit than I ever imagined. Yeah. I think his is just, um, it's not your typical serial killer. Not at all. Take the coastal kills out of it completely. There's people that believe the coastal kills and there's even, sure. I guess I believe, I believe some of it. Yeah. I mean, there's some people that give him like complete credit, like, you know, credibility. Yeah, he did everything, but that's—I don't think that's accurate. Well, of course, it's he unlikely. Seems like such an honest guy. Why would you not believe everything he said? I think there's probably a handful of the coastal kills. Maybe. I think that's right. Probably for sure, the 16-year-old girl that he remembered her name from the coastal ones. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's probably all bullshit. Because, like I said, he was driving just a one stretch of highway there would be something like the Texas killing fields out there. There would be, I, the, I agree. like you said, the South Carolina highway, whatever. Yeah. If he took 80 to 90 women in a span of five years, like we're not talking about Los Angeles where you're picking up sex workers and disposing of them. If you're talking about, you know, young girls in the middle of South Carolina, right. They're going to be Barney Fife. They're going to be locked, missed. Up, locked all them up, <laughs> got them off the streets. Yeah. They're going to be missed. Andy, we got a problem. <laughs> he took those pimps out. <laughs> yeah, I think his book, Final Truth, is interesting. An interesting read to just like look in the mind, I guess, so, like the fantasy mm-hmm. of a serial killer. We had a few listeners, I think, that reached out and said that they actually have copies of the book. Really? Yeah. I don't know where or how or. It used to be for sale. Right. Probably signed from their relatives down there in South Carolina. <laughs> like cousins of Pee Wee Gas. Maybe you can stumble into like a half price books and find one one day. Wouldn't that be wild? That'd be cool. That's like how I got that um that Jay on Heineck book that was out of print. It's like 150 bucks. Yeah. Someone was like doing a obviously like cleaning out a relative's house or something. Yeah. They were only selling it for twenty bucks. Yeah. And you got a signed Art Bell book, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Half price books. That's something else. You never know. I'm hoping to find like an original copy of the Constitution someday, like that, like at a garage <laughs> sale, like framed behind a yeah, it's past two dollar picture of a peach drawing or something. Yeah, like I'll take the peach drawing, of course. Oh so, yeah, whatever's behind it, just give me that, no problem. I'll give you an extra fifty cents. How about that? It's fucking Nicholas Cage and National Treasure, right? <laughs> so I love that. I love that movie so much. I th- both of them are really so good. good. They're really good. I've never seen those. Really? Wow. Might be the only good thing Nicolas Cage has ever done. I don't know about that. Let's <laughs> not get carried away with ourselves. Here. What? Because Con Air is so good. Nicolas Cage's not. Southern accent in Con Air <laughs> is second to none. It's so fucking good. I love Con Air so much. <laughs> Chappelle's in it. They throw him out of the plane. He lands in like some small hick town on the top of a car. 
<laughs> he really should have gotten an Academy Award for that movie. <laughs> so good. Best use of accent ever in a film. <laughs> Nicolas Cage, Con Air. They should call it the Nicolas Cage Award moving forward. <laughs> it should. It's so good. <laughs> He's got long. He's got that mullet. <laughs> well, darling. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I don't rightly know. What's the one with Travolta face off? Oh, face off's great. That's all right. Yeah. That's a good movie. The cage is all right, I guess. They made such good movies in the 90s. They're so fucking Did good. Did they? Oh, yes. <laughs> so fast. <laughs> so good. Uh, there was rumors that uh, they were trying. Sylvester Stallone was trying to get him for one of the Expendable movies. You know, because they always just get every actor that's ever been in any action movie, which I'm a big fan of the Expendables series, by the way, because it's just oh, we know ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous with Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, it's, it's great, but it's so good. Um, but I think they're making one more. The rumor is there's one final installment coming out. Maybe they'll get Nicolas Cage. Mm. Maybe he'll resurrect his Con Air character or something like that. Bring back his Southern accent. They should absolutely. I just read today that Nicolas Cage wants to do a Batman movie. Is uh, <laughs> that big that villain with the big giant head? Did you read that today? <laughs> no, oh, Mr. Bighead is his name. Is his name? Mr. I Big don't Head? know. <laughs> but I know the guy who looks like a penguin's called Penguin. The guy who tells jokes, the Riddler or the Joker. I can't remember his the like the the villain's name, but I'm gonna look it up. The guy who Great. tells riddles is the Riddler is what that's, I have to say. That's true. So, he's got a big head. He's Mr. Big Head. The guy who has two faces is Two-Face. It might be. They're not I, as creative with the names. I'm not a big Batman guy, but Egghead. Egghead. That's Damn right. it, I was so close. Why don't I like Why the fuck does Nicolas Cage want to be Egghead? <laughs> I don't know. It's be great though. I love the horror movies that he's in recently, like Mandy. Yeah, uh, Color Out of Space was really good. Whatever that that fucking Fantasy Land, is that what it's called? <laughs> Whatever that one where he's like in the Chuck E. Cheese type place. Yeah, yeah. I haven't watched that. You mean yet. Gone in sixty seconds? <laughs> I love Gone in sixty seconds. Oh, Did this just so become good. a Nicolas Cage podcast? <laughs> Cage and Amapod. You cannot beat a Nick Cage movie. Pig. Pig was great. You guys have been talking about that one a lot recently. All right. We're pro Nicholas Cage, I guess, on this podcast. <laughs> I really do. I, I love the National Treasure movies. Those are really good. First one more so than the second Agreed. one. But Agreed. Very, very good. Yeah, the first one, Dynamite. The Con Air Slander is just not great. It's though. just someone... I can't remember when I first watched it, but they were telling me how great of a movie it is. Within 30 seconds, I was like, this is a joke, right? Like, this is this is a comedy. Like, this is not for real. What's the name? What's the name of the uh, the guy from uh, fuck the uh, the CSI? The with the who opening (laughs) the guy like the the redheaded guy. He's in a movie with Nicolas Cage where I know who you're talking about. I don't know the movie. Nicolas Cage is like a criminal and he can't. Uh, eat food with metal utensils. Doesn't <laughs> ring a bell at all. No. So good. What's that you, did you dream this? No, <laughs> he can't eat them. He can't eat with metal utensils. Yeah, because he's like dangerous. The, it like or hurts is it like his teeth or something? He's like an X Men plot point. Like it's his weakness. <laughs> What's that guy's name? Now you and I got to fill time while he looks this up. <laughs> you know how many movies Nicolas Cage has been, and he's gonna have to fucking scroll through IMDb. That guy's been in like 900,000 movies. I'm going to go backwards. What's the CSI Miami guy's name? That's probably better. I don't know his name. David Caruso. I'm gonna <laughs> He's go- in four movies. 
J O Jade. That's a good movie. Jade. Yeah. With that Linda Fiorentino from Men in Black. All right. That's a good movie. Uh, but this is a Caruso movie, not a Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> right. This is Nicholas, or Nicolas Cage hour, Dave. Come on. Well, I tried to work backwards. I thought it would be quicker. How many fucking movies is this guy in? He did a lot. I apologize. I can't find it. <laughs> Maybe type in their both their names. Yeah, just type in both their names on Google like a normal person <laughs> would probably have done. But I didn't even think of that either. Kiss of Death. That was easier. <laughs> That was good. Kiss of death. 1995. And it's about I a told man. told you 90s, man. It's, it's about a man movies. who can't use silverware. That's what you're telling me right now. He's a criminal. And for whatever reason, he, he didn't like to eat silver. He didn't like metal well, silverware. Well, then be like fucking all the rest of us. Go to Chipotle, get your bag, and fill it with forks and napkins and go home. They have good it's all solid plastic cutlery at That's, uh, Chipotle. Any decent human being goes to Chipotle and leaves with sackfuls of cutlery and Smart. napkins. Smart. You need a tissue? Here's a Chipotle napkin. You need to clean up after a meal? Here's a Chipotle napkin. You need to wipe your ass? Here's a Chipotle napkin. All right. Uh, final thoughts on this? I like how we ended the show here. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't really know much about this case, I, I guess, in, in depth. It was, uh, I don't know, the guy's just more or less a criminal, just killing people in the course of his criminal activities more than a predator serial killer, it seems like, Yeah, to me. I don't think there was any bothersomeness or any of that shit. Like yeah. he had this urge to kill. And I think he got a lot of time to kill in prison and yeah. you come up with stories because you know, you're getting executed at some point and you're like, this is how I want to be viewed by future generations Yeah, as a master criminal, you know, super predator kind of guy. And I just don't think that fits. I, and I think a lot of it goes back to like that little man syndrome. Like he just loved being known as a hard ass and like a tough guy. Power man. Power, yeah, man. power man. I think that's right. I, I think that the boys reformatory was a big issue into why he turned out the way that he did. Like getting his ass whooped and, yeah, and raped, raped by in there. 20, what was it, 20 some guys? Yeah. It certainly didn't help. No. I mean, I know that he he participated in a rape. He Like he was already going on a path. Right. Maybe he could have been steered off that path. I don't know, but... I mean, that could have been a place to do it. I would, I would guess, you know, being out of reform school, you know, had it not been corrupt as it was with those kids fucking with them. It doesn't sound like that place was good for anybody. No, no. All right. I got some patron shout outs. Ooh, there's a lot of, uh, funny, uh, funny business going on with these names this, um, a week. So from here on out, I am literally going to read what is written as their names. <laughs> now what you're supposed to fucking do? What are you talking about? <laughs> Here is what they have. I think it's Visby, Moon Zero Doom, Gabby Dashef, Speedway Raccoon, Evelyn Valleys, Brent April, Joshua Fanning, Mads, Joshua Foster, Brandy Gwynn, Gurpreet, Gabby, Zalo Molina, Cuckold King 69, <laughs> Spencer Orr, Jen Buckley, Junior Ramirez, Dana, Shadow Devil 652, Abigail Kazel Berger, Mike's Massive Shaft typed this, Jim Jones Juice, Tanner L, Glizzy underscore Goblin, Chelsea Lambert, Andrew Vickers, Patchy, 
Chantal Lazar, Pontus Burgemark, Haley Alanis, Allie Kells, Ash Slay, James Breton, those two hot girls at Freshly Brewed Noir, Ashley, Trudy May, Queef Steam. <laughs> <laughs> Polite McLean, Sleuthy Slothballs, 89, Salt and Vinegar Minge, Leslie Whitson, Sean Reed, Katie Helms, Dana Kelly, Liam Raymond, Francis N., Anna, Brittany Tippy, OBG Family, I Mike Have Slept with the Dog, A Golden Retriever, <laughs> Simon Hunter, Annie Kabza, Zoe Kimes, Nicole Winningham, Alex Crane, Stacy Mahoney, Lindsay, Max Jobert, Lindsay, Ligma Taint, Lyle Swan, Mason Hellman, and Annie Pierce. I feel like I butchered a ton of those names, but what are you going to do? I tried. It's no different than any other way. Eh, well, I tried extra hard this week. Oh, okay. I tried really hard for Nicolas Cage. Do it for him. Uh, but I'll, anyways, thank you very much. Uh, a lot of patrons this week, so appreciate it. Uh, There's a guy with your name that was uh, fucking Golden Retrievers. Yeah, Mike, what are you unusual. doing? You shouldn't go around fucking dogs. <laughs> I'm glad you admitted it on the show. You know, perhaps reach out to BetterHelp. They can assist you <laughs> with any uh, counseling needs and services you might need moving forward. Patreon.com slash Necronemapod. Also, if you go to the Patreon app and just try to search us, we will not come up because we are listed as adult content. So you either have to click the links that we have in all of our social media bios or uh, actually type in Patreon.com slash Necronemapod. We typically don't come up in just the regular search bar on Patreon. Held down by the man. It's bullshit. I know. Trying to censor us. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for Daryl DJ. Brian D. from New Jersey, Dominique R.W., and Linux Sensei Dave. Thank you for the awesome reviews. Dave, what do you got? I don't have anything. Well, I'll say stickers still available on the website. There you go. Get them while they last. Necronowpod.com for the stickers. All right. Anything else you want to talk about tonight? Good? I think we're good. Golden? Yeah, I'm good. Golden Retriever? Don't get uh, Mike started, man. <laughs> Mike's cock's all hard now. He's talking about dog fucking. Probably. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Necronomapod. Amazon.com. Search Necronomapod for all of our merch. Necronomapod.com for the stickers. And Patreon.com slash Necronomapod if you wish to access our bonus content. Three shows a month at the $5 level. And then the Necronite the Movies available at the $10 level. Check it out. All right, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>